So today we're uh, continuing our series, uh, Endgame, in which we are talking about the things that the Bible teaches us about the last days and the end of the age, and, uh, and learning about that transition period from this present time and this present age into the age to come, the eternal kingdom. And, uh, and today we're going to talk about the book of Revelation, and we're going to get kind of a uh, an introduction, I think I would call it, to the entire book of Revelation today. We're going to talk about the book, and we're going to um, be prepared so that when you read the book of Revelation, uh, you will be better prepared to make sense of it and to benefit from your reading from the things that we talk about today. So, um, our title for this week's uh, message is Endgame Apocalypse. Sounds like another great movie title, right? Um, but what is apocalypse anyway? What does that word mean, apocalypse? Well, it's, it's kind of uh, it's a huge event with all kinds of destructive power and maybe even the end of the world. It's a big apocalypse. Um, this thing that you're seeing here on the screen is a specially modified version of a Jeep Gladiator. It's called an Apocalypse 6x6, made by the Apocalypse Company down in Florida. You can get one for only about 150000 And uh, this thing is, the, this is the badge on the front of the thing. It's got the nuclear explosion and all that stuff on there. Um, uh, and, and the idea, I guess, is that their truck is so tough that it could survive a nuclear explosion. Or, or maybe um, that if you survive the apocalypse, you want this truck as your, as your transportation after that. But yeah, it's a ridiculous truck, right? But it's, it's also pretty cool, isn't it? But... Um, but the point is to say that apocalypse is a word that we generally use to talk about this kind of huge destructive event wreaking havoc on the world through nuclear war or zombies or, or some other uh, less likely thing that might happen. But where does the word come from and how is it related to the Bible? Well, apocalypse is a Greek word that we have just transliterated into English. Transliterated is different than translated. When you transliterate a word, you just kind of uh, change the Greek letters to English letters, but the word is still the Greek word that we're saying. We're not translating its meaning. We're just saying the word in Greek. Um, when we translate the Greek word apocalypse into English, it's usually translated using the English word revelation. And it is the first word in the last book of the Bible, the book that we call Revelation, that's where we get the title for the book of Revelation. And here it is, that first verse, it says, The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. That's part of our memory verse for this month. Um, and this book is the apocalypse, the revelation from Jesus Christ. In other words, this book contains something that Jesus has revealed to us. And that's what it means to say it's the apocalypse from Jesus Christ or the revelation from Jesus Christ. Jesus has revealed something to us. And that's where we get the title for the book in, in our modern Bibles. Of course, John, the original author, did not give it the book a title. That's just something that we've uh, added on later uh, based on that first word of the book. Um, so if, if apocalypse simply means revelation or something that is being revealed then why do people name oversized Jeeps Apocalypse? And why do we have all these associations with destruction and calamity 
and, and all of that with this word? Well, it's because the, this particular revelation that Jesus gave to John and passed on to us, the, a lot of the prominent content of the book is that kind of thing. It is those, these great judgments from God that will come at the end of the world. And it describes these things in very impress, uh, impressive and uh, uh, imagery that's very memorable. And so, the word apocalypse came to be associated not with its actual meaning of simply revelation, but with the contents of this book, which talks about these big um, apocalypse uh, events of these great destructions and judgments from God. Now, this first, book, or first verse here of the book goes on to say that this revelation from Jesus was given in order to show His servants what must soon take place. So what's the, what's the purpose of the revelation? It's for God to show his servants, uh, that's Christians, what is going to soon take place. So the book is a prediction of the future. Um, but when is that future coming? Well, it's coming soon. All right? So how far away is soon? Well, um, if I were to throw a ball up in the air and say, I'm going to catch it soon when it comes back down, how long am I talking about? How far away is soon? Like maybe one second, right? So, uh, but then if I say, I'm going to take my daughter Brahman to visit a couple of colleges soon, well, that's three weeks away. Um, and yet we still say soon, but it's a lot longer than the, the one second that the ball is coming down. In fact, I did the math, it's about two million times longer, um, and yet we still say soon for both of those things, and we can use soon for even longer periods of time. My point is that soon is a very imprecise time frame, but at the same time, it's not the same as saying nothing about the timing, right? The Bible doesn't just say this is a book telling us about things that will take place. It is telling us about things that will soon take place. Now, when, when God inspired John to write this, did he know exactly how long it was going to be before he brought these things to pass? Did God know? Well, yeah, of course he, God knew. But, uh, so, so, so why didn't he tell us, right? Why didn't God tell us, here's when these things are going to happen. It's going to be... 2,419 years from now, I'm going to do it, or however long it is. Why didn't God say that? Well, God has chosen not to reveal to us in this age when this age will come to an end and the eternal age will begin. Jesus said that the angels don't even know, even he himself did not know when it was going to happen. God doesn't want to tell us how long we will have to wait for the end. So, why does he say soon? Well, um, if you're not going to reveal the timing, you know, why, why not just say nothing? Why does he uh, give us this vague, it's going to happen soon? Well, it's because soon creates a sense of expectation. It could happen anytime. It could happen today. It could be tomorrow. It could be Next year, it could be any time. And that sense of expectancy 
is what God wants us to have. That's why he gave us this kind of vague soon and didn't tell us the exact date. So the first sentence of the book of Revelation tells us that this is a book of revelation from Jesus and that its purpose is to let us know what's going to happen at any time now. It could happen at any time. And the next section here in the book tells us a little bit more about what this book is and what to expect in it. It says, He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So as you read through this book of Revelation, you'll notice that there are a lot of angels that appear in it, and they serve as guides and interpreters for John. As he sees his visions, the angel says, now look over here, now come over here, let me tell you what this means. And so you see a lot of angels, uh, like are mentioned here in the, in the thing, and the, the visions um, that he sees are the main content of the book. The most, most of the book is this series of visions that John has um, and writes down for us and tries to ex- describe for us what it is that he saw in these visions. And he tells us here that what all of this amounts to, what this book actually is, is it is the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So that means that what we have here is not just John's speculation about what he thinks is going to happen in the future and how the world will end. This is the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ about these things. And then verse 3 finishes this prologue of the book. It says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Now, some people, when they first read the book of Revelation, they're reading through the Bible and they get to this book and they read it, And they think, this is way too confusing. Uh, I'm just not going to spend my time in here. I'm going to read other parts of the Bible that are a little easier to understand. I'm just going to kind of set this book aside over here. And I'm not sure if God anticipated that, and that's exactly why he put this line in here. Uh, But uh, God is telling us here, he's giving us a great encouragement to put in the effort to understand the book of Revelation. I mean, it's true of the whole Bible, right, that if, if we read it and we take it to heart, that we will be blessed by God, we'll experience the blessing of God in our lives. But nowhere else in the Bible is it explicitly stated like this, that if we read and understand and take to heart these things, we will experience the blessing of God. So, so pay attention. This book of the Bible has good things to teach us. And if we work at it, we can learn and take it to heart and experience God's blessing in our lives. So those first three verses are considered the prologue of the book. They give a kind of introduction and set expectations uh, uh, for what kind of a book we're about to read. And the next verses are the actual introduction to the book. And so here's what it says in uh, verse 4. It says, John... To the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and was and is to come. 
So what does that sound like? Well, it sounds like the introduction to a whole lot of other books of the Bible, right? All throughout the New Testament, uh, many books start really similarly to this. Like the book of Galatians starts out saying this. It says, Paul, an apostle, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Or Peter also starts his book very similar. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, grace and peace be yours in abundance. See, the common features of all these introductions is that the author names himself, then he names the people that he's writing to, and then he has some version of this grace and peace to you. And the fact that the book of Revelation starts with the same kind of introduction means that just like most of the rest of the New Testament, this book is a formal letter, right? It's, 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 it's a letter that uh, is also known as an epistle, this kind of formal letter. We call it an epistle. It's written to specific people that the author knows and wants to communicate to their particular situation that they are experiencing at that time. And he, the, throughout the book of Revelation, just like the rest of the Bible, John is writing to these people. Um, in some of the biblical epistles, there's some very specific, even some very personal, where he names names and talks about individual people and situations in the life of the people that the author is writing to. And there are sections of the epistles that teach more general spiritual truths that, uh, that the author deems are, are, are especially important for those people to remember in that particular place and time. Um, and one of the things that that means is that as we read the New Testament epistles, including the book of Revelation, we are really reading somebody else's mail, right? These books are addressed to specific people who had particular situations that prompted the authors to write uh, these specific things that are included in the letters. And they are written with particular occasions in mind in the lives of the people that they are written to. And so there's a sense that the letters are not really addressed to us, right? Uh, for instance, the, the book of Galatians was written to the churches in Galatia in about the year 50. And it was written largely to address the issue of some false teachers who had come to these churches and led them to believe some things that they should not believe. And so the Apostle Paul writes this letter to correct those problems. And when we read the book, we're in a bit of a different situation than those people were in. I mean, obviously, we live in a very different historical moment than they did. And, and we're also not in the same situation as having been taught bad theology by those particular uh, teachers in those that were causing problems in those days. But there is still great value for us in reading the letter to the Galatians or the rest of the letters uh, in that we often find ourselves in situations that are very similar in many ways to the situations that they were in. And so we can apply um, those lessons that uh, were originally aimed at them will apply to our lives. And we can learn from their mistakes that are corrected in the book so that we don't make those same mistakes. 
And the parts of the books that contain more general teachings um, and are, are more directly applicable to our own lives. And th- this is all true of the book of Revelation, just like it is for the other epistles. It was written by John as a letter to the seven churches in the province of Asia near the end of the first century A.D. And that means that it is directly applicable to the situation of those churches at that time. And the fact that it is inspired Scripture also means that it's applicable to us. But if we want to know what the main points of the book are, they are the points that those people at that time needed to hear. That was what John was addressing. He was addressing their situation. So what was the situation of those churches that, uh, that this letter is talking about? Well, we get a lot of indication of those things in a section of the book of Revelation, which is kind of some letters within the letter. The chapters 2 and 3 contain, uh, John is he's experiencing this incredible vision of the glorified Jesus in those chapters. And Jesus is, uh, remember, John knew Jesus from, uh, he was one of his closest friends and disciples during his time. But now he's seeing this vision of Jesus looking very different than when they used to walk around and eat fish together and, and sail on the lake. Um, Jesus is, uh, you can read the description there in uh, the end of chapter 1 and chapter 2, but, but anyway, Jesus is uh, dictating then to John letters to each of these seven churches, talking about the specific situation in each of these seven cities, and from those letters, we can really see a lot of the, um, the details of what was the situation that was going on there, and um, And we also can combine that information with some of what we know about the historical situation of the Roman Empire near the end of the first century AD. And uh, and so we can know a fair bit about the historical setting of the book of Revelation and the people that it was originally written for. And here's, here's some important things that we learn from that, is that the churches were beginning to experience some real persecution at this time. So it wasn't as bad as it, as it got later. You know the stories where they're feeding Christians to lions in the Colosseum in Rome and all that kind of thing? That happened sometime later. But here, uh, persecution is really starting to, um, to spring up here and there around the empire, uh, even from, from the government themselves. Not just prejudice from uh, random people, but the government is starting to crack down on Christianity. And this was partly because as Christianity grew and it attracted more and more Gentiles to uh, be a part of the church, it became less and less seen in the eyes of the Roman authorities as just a branch of Judaism. Um, see, Judaism had some special rights and privileges in Roman law so that Jews living all over the empire were allowed to follow their religion and not follow the religion of the people around them. But... Um, Christians at first had also come under that umbrella because they were just a branch of Judaism. But now, the authorities were starting to see, hey, most of these people are not Jews, and their beliefs seem pretty different than uh, Jewish beliefs. We think this is a new religion. And now we want to know, should we be allowing this to uh, expand in our territory, or should we be trying to put a stop to this and keep people following the traditional religions of our empire. And more and more, um, the, uh, the authorities were starting to persecute the church and discourage people from being 
Christians. And so we see evidence in those letters uh, to the seven churches that they were indeed being persecuted. The letters mention slander, imprisonment, even a particular preacher who was put to death um, for his faith. And some of that persecution that they described here is coming from Jewish sources, but some of it is also coming from the authorities, coming from the Romans. And also it talks about false teachers among the churches who were teaching people bad theology. And so there were warnings to watch out and stay true to the faith that they were taught. But the biggest focus of the seven letters to the churches and the whole book, really, as it goes through, the biggest focus is that no matter how things might look at the moment with the authorities and different people uh, cracking down on Christianity, um, no matter how that might look, Christians should stay faithful to God and not give up the faith because Jesus is going to bring punishment on those who persecute his people and on those who fall away due to persecution, while he will bring reward to those who remain faithful to the end. And that is the biggest application of the book of Revelation as a whole. When persecution comes, do not give in, do not give up your faith. God is ultimately in control and he will sort it all out with justice in the end. And those who oppose the people of God will be punished, and those who stay true to him, despite persecutions, will be rewarded, and will see justice done to those who have harmed them. So that was the main idea of the book of Revelation for those churches in first century Asia Minor, and that is the main idea of the book today, too. But it is, it is a fairly long book. It's 22 chapters. There's more than just that one big idea in here. It also tells us a lot of other things about um, the, uh, the, the later days and the end of the world and how God is going to bring about all these things. Um, so let's just talk a bit about um, how to read this book and make sense out of what it says. Because one of the things that really makes that challenging for us is that the book uh, consists mainly of John's descriptions of visions that God has given to him, right? And these visions contain all kinds of imagery that is very strange to us. And, and some of it is not just strange to us, it's strange. Um, and so you've got all this imagery, and, and what do we do with this? Um, so, so here's the thing, is that some of the imageries that's here in the book of Revelation, in fact, most of it was actually not strange to the people who it was originally written to, right? Those people in those seven churches in the province of Asia, when they read these descriptions, they made perfect sense to them because they were familiar with the imagery that was being described, so we're going to look at a, uh, I want to, to get that idea across, I want to talk about a couple of examples from modern sports culture. So when someone says um, that Buccaneer is destined to have a bust in Canton, now some of you probably that don't watch football might not understand that, but that sentence has a very clear meaning to someone who is a fan of NFL football, right? So... Um, what does it mean to have a bust in Canton? 
Well, Canton, Ohio is the home of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And when you are inducted into the Hall of Fame, they make a bronze bust of you and they put it in the little museum there. And so when I say someone is going to have a bust in Canton or destined to have a bust in Canton, it means they're going to be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And then I also said uh, uh, a buccaneer. Well, who am I talking about? Tom Brady, Tom Brady of course. Uh, people today will recognize, yeah, Tom Brady just retired from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he is surely uh, going to be in the Hall of Fame, right? But um, is he a pirate? Because a buccaneer is a pirate, right? No, Brady played for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That was the team mascot. He's a football player. Um, so, um, so that sentence makes sense to someone who is in the know and understands that imagery, right? We know exactly who we're talking about, and we know exactly what we're saying about them by saying this. But can you imagine someone 500 years from now reading that sentence? Right? It wouldn't make a lot of sense to them. They would not understand what Canton is all about. Um, they might understand what a bust is, but they, 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 would just, they wouldn't know that a buccaneer is a football player and not a pirate. They, they would be totally lost in that sentence. And now I've got another illustration, another uh, sports sentence. Uh, it says, uh, he earned his first cap today and claimed four wickets before the light was offered. Now, I'm going to bet that I'm the only person in the room who understands what that means. <laughs> and that's because I'm smarter. No, it's, uh, it's, because <laughs> it's because I used to live in South Africa. And in South Africa, one of the most popular sports is cricket. And this sentence is about the sport of cricket. Right? So um, what it means is that uh, this particular player played his first game for his national team that day and then he got four players out before it got too dark to play, and they quit the game to resume the next day. I could explain all that some other time, how, why it means that, but that's what it means. Um, now, here's the thing. Um, the point of that is that this phrase, which is in English, our native language, and is from our own day and age, this is something people would say right now, um, it's not an, an ancient thing, it doesn't make sense to us without the right cultural background information. However, if we were in South Africa right now, most people would understand that, and nobody would understand the thing about Buccaneers and Canton and, and all of that. Um, and that's what happens to us when we read the book of Revelation. You see, we're reading these, these, these images and these descriptions of things that were written for, uh, for people a long time ago. These people lived thousands of years ago. They spoke a different language than we speak. They had a very different culture than ours. And we read some of these things and we're just lost, but they would have made perfect sense to them. They would have understood right away what, what uh, he was talking about. So, um, so as we read the book of Revelation and we encounter these strange things, we need to realize that they do have a clear meaning, which we need to do some work to uncover what that meaning is. 
right? So there are three main places where we should look to figure out what the meaning of the images that John describes are. So what, are, what does this imagery stand for? So the first thing um, is that sometimes uh, the book tells us right in here what the imagery stands for. And one example of that is um, the uh, image of people who are dressed in white or in white linen. And we see that quite a few times throughout the book. There's, it describes how people are dressed and they're wearing, um, wearing white robes or white linen or something. And in chapter 19, it tells us what that means. It says, uh, fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. So, uh, with that information, we can know that throughout the book, when people are described as wearing white robes or white linen or something like that, um, it's talking about their righteousness and their righteous actions. And so, the clothing that John sees in his vision is a symbol. Um, It is an image that is meant to create an impression on us of the righteousness of the people who are being described that way. They have put on their righteous acts like a clean and spotless robe, and their actions have become visible in John's vision. So he's not actually describing what people are going to wear in heaven. What he's describing is the righteousness of their lives. Right? Now, the second place we can look for um, the explanation of the images that we see in Revelation is the rest of the Bible. Um, and that's actually where most of the imagery in the book of Revelation comes from, is from other parts of the Bible. And so, uh, we're going to look at an example from Revelation chapter 5 for, uh, for this one. In this uh, chapter... John is seeing a vision of the throne room of God, and there's all kinds of things happening there, uh, but, uh, but I'm going to read, starting with verse 4, a uh, part of what he sees when he's seeing the throne room of God. It says, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. So, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Is this a big African cat that John is talking about here? With a big mane or something? No. This is a phrase from the Bible, we see it uh, come up quite a few times, um, to describe the great king descended from the Israelite tribe of Judah. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's not an actual cat. He is a person who uh, has the power and strength and majesty of a lion. He's also called here the root of David. So now we're talking about plants. But again, this is a phrase from the Bible that talks about how King David and his dynasty of kings are like a great tree, and that that it, it has been cut down, but the roots remain, and the stump is there, 
and the root will grow up again. So even though there wasn't a Davidic king for some time, there will be again a new king in the line of David. The root of David will come up and be king again. And then lastly, we have in this passage here the image of a lamb looking like it had been slain. And there's, there's several biblical references all kind of combining here in this image of the slain lamb. Um, the lamb was the sacrificial animal, especially the sacrificial animal that was slain at the Passover to save the faithful from death. And, and that was an image that had already in the Bible been applied to Jesus as the lamb of God, the sacrifice that God would offer to save us. And this lamb is alive, but it looks as if it has been slain, right? Which is clearly a reference to Jesus, who was slain on the cross, but is alive again, rose from the dead. So, what is John saying here? Is he saying that Jesus is a lion? No. Is he saying that Jesus is a tree root? No. Is he saying that that Jesus is some kind of a young sheep? No. He's using all of these meaningful images and symbols to create an emotional reaction to the one who is there standing in the center of the throne. Who is this person? It is the lion, the great powerful king of Israel. It's also the root of David, symbolic of the faithfulness of God to his promises to the great king, and and to one of his descendants would live forever. And it's also the sacrificial lamb of God who has given himself for our salvation and has raised from the dead. That is who is standing at the center of the throne. And we understand all those images because they are things that are spoken of and explained in other parts of the Bible. Now, the third place that that we look for understanding the meaning of of images that are not either explained in the book of Revelation or explained in the rest of the Bible is is the culture of the first century Roman province of Asia, because that's who was supposed to understand this stuff. And that's where um, it's most like my sports examples, right, where we read this thing and we're like, what is going on? But they knew what was going on. So an example of that is from chapter 7, um, verses 2 and 3, where it says, Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land of the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. So here John sees this vision of this angel who has the seal of the living God, and he puts a seal on the foreheads of the servants of God. So what does that mean? Well, uh, so what kind of seal are we talking about here, right? Is, Is it the kind of seal that makes a lid watertight, so God is sealing their foreheads so that their brains don't leak out? No, uh... Uh, This kind of a seal, historically, was a ring or a small cylinder that was carved so that when it was pressed into um, 
something soft like, a, like wax or a piece of clay, it would leave an impression that was a distinct and unique impression that would identify whose seal had been pressed into it, right? Um, we've seen that kind of thing with sealing wax and stuff still kind of exists as a kind of an archaic thing. Um, but why did people in the ancient Roman Empire put seals on things? Well, one reason that they would do it, which seems to make best sense in this context, is to label something as belonging to a particular person. And so, for instance, a winemaker would put a seal on the clay jars uh, that he put his wine in, marking them as his wine. So God here is marking his people with a seal to claim his ownership of them and to mark them as his. These are my people, and I place my seal on them so that they can be identified as mine. And, and later in chapter 9, there's a, there's a plague described that only affects the people who do not have that seal on their foreheads. So this seal has a practical purpose for recognizing the people of God, because God has identified them with this seal. So let me summarize here the three places that we should look when we don't understand what John is trying to say with a particular image. So the three sources are uh, in the book itself, in the book of Revelation, which you may have to read through the whole book before you find the part that gives you a clue. Oh, now I understand what he was saying back there. Um, the other place to look is in uh, the rest of the Bible, um, and you're probably going to want to have some kind of help with finding those images from the rest of the Bible, unless you're just, um, you know, have read the Bible a lot and, and are familiar with uh, other sections and can remember the things that were talked about in other places. But uh, the, the best places to look uh, in the rest of the Bible, book of Daniel, book of Isaiah, book of Ezekiel, those are some of the key ones uh, that... Revelation refers to a lot and has a lot of symbolism coming from those books. And then the third place is uh, the ancient culture of the original readers and, uh, and, the, and, and their cultural understanding. So, this has been just an introduction to the book of Revelation and kind of a how to go about reading the book. What is this book and how should we seek to understand it? Clearly, I haven't even really talked about what the contents of the book are, um, and here's what I am recommending for you for that. Um, this sermon is kind of uh, meant to connect with some videos that uh, were put out by the Gospel Coalition. Gospel Coalition is a really good Bible teaching uh, organization, and they put out quite a few of these uh, really nice um, uh, kind of, I guess it's animated, sort of animated video of um, uh, explaining various things from the Bible, but, uh, but they've done two videos on the book of Revelation in which they really summarize the content of the book and tell you exactly uh, what happens going through the whole thing and give you a, a real overview of all the different things that the book of Revelation talks about. And, you know, it's not a perfect video, but it, it really is uh, uh, some good stuff. There's links to it on the back of your bulletin. You can also just go to YouTube, search Gospel Coalition, Revelation, and you'll find it. Um, 
and it's also on our church Facebook page. So uh, go and watch those, and that will, combined with what we've been talking about this morning, I think that will really help you the next time you are doing some reading in the book of Revelation to make much better sense and to get much more benefit from your study of that book. So don't forget that God has promised his blessing on us when we read and take to heart uh, the things that are written in the book of Revelation. So put in the effort, uh, do the work to understand these things, and you will find good reward. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that, uh, that you did reveal many things to us through the book of Revelation and that you gave it to us as a means of encouraging us to stay true and faithful to you. And I pray that as we read it, we would see how it does encourage us and how we can be, uh, we can be brave in the face of adversity because we know that you will bring justice in the end. Father, I pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.